Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Uh, Tonight, it's Andrew and Paul doing a quick intro here for our show this week with Mark Wiley from the Ohio Division of Wildlife. But first, we will uh, get you caught up. Uh, Paul, you're rolling, buddy. So you're you're just cruising down the road and uh, on your way back from down south. Yeah, I am, man. Headed back from Alabama. Coming home empty-handed. I had... About a day and a half to hunt uh, Alabama with, with Mike Pentecost from Woodhaven. And uh, Tuesday, it was like 35-mile-an-hour wind constantly. And for those of you that have turkey hunted, you know how hard that is. For those of you that haven't turkey hunted, I'd rather hunt in downpour than 20-mile-an-hour winds. Uh, so, yeah, man, it was tough. Had had a couple run-ins today on, uh, on a big piece of property we were at. Spooked a turkey. One of the guys I was hunting with that was doing some video work, Dylan Hazen, great guy. Uh, we, we, had, we had a turkey goblin. Uh, and so I, I've been dealing with, like, this, like, sinus infection, like, weird, like, pressure in my ears, so I can't hear anything, Andrew. When I'm in the woods, it's, I mean, it's driving me nuts. My, my ears are popping all the time. And so those poor guys had to, like, listen for that to do all the work, right? And so Dylan had this turkey goblin. We're, we're trying to move in to get into position to, you know, hunt this bird. And uh, we were around the corner, and he's standing in the middle of the road, middle of the trail. Were you guys up so, higher than him or, or lower or what? Cause oh, got- yeah, yeah. We, they, they, were, they were hanging down, so it was like we were hunting the edge of the property. Like, so we were on a road, like a trail, uh, and, and the right side of the trail, so like the, uh, the I guess it was the south side of the trail was the property line and so all, a lot of turkeys were down i mean it was like a 200 foot drop like like a gradual slope not like a cliff or anything it was like you know so we're 200 feet above this beautiful little river bottom creek bottom lots of green vegetation it's you know 10 degrees cooler than it is in the sunshine and so those turkeys had been hanging out there just gobbling like crazy uh, and we, you know, we had to pull them up off of the, off of the other property. Um, so, I mean, it was a hard, it was a hard thing to do, but I mean, it worked. We got them up. We just didn't realize, I don't know if there were more turkeys, but we, we, uh, kind of rounded this bend to get in and that sucker was standing right there, man. And Dylan, I mean, he, he walked face first into him. <laughs> so. Huh. Uh, all good, man. It, it happens. Spooks, spooking turkeys sucks. Uh, that was really the only only run-in, literal and figurative, that we had uh, today. Had a couple other goblins, but it was it was still, man. It was a lot of fun. Learned a lot. It's it's great hunting with people that are really good turkey hunters. 
you know, and, and, and you just learn, learn a ton. So what's, uh, what's, but, a pop- what, what's the population look like down there as far as birds? Are they having a rebound like some of the other places seem to be reporting? Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's funny. Like you talk to, to anyone in any turkey hunter in any city, like, ah, we, we don't have the turkeys like we used to. Uh, that's probably true. Um, all I know is the turkeys that I did hear, I saw and heard a lot of turkeys in Alabama this year. Uh, I saw a ton driving down, you know, alongside of the road uh, or in fields. So Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, the four states I've been in uh, this year, I, man, I am seeing turkeys everywhere. So I feel good about it. I think people just need to have a little more, you know, have a positive outlook, you know, quit being so negative about it. You know, turkey hunting's hard. You're not going to hear them gobble nonstop all of the time. Right. So I feel good about, I feel good about the populations that I've seen, uh, just, to, you know, from a non-science perspective, hunting and just drive, literally driving down the road. So. Good. Good, good, good. So yeah. you're on your way back, uh, what do we, what do you got on the agenda? We've got, opener will come up on april 22nd so this show will release uh oh the 20th somewhere in there so yeah, we're, there we're recording this a little bit ahead of time um had to get some stuff in yeah we got, we got some vacations to not for us but for from the sportsman's empire guys the, the head early. corporate headquarters of the sportsman's empire is taking a little turkey turkey trip uh so as of as of this morning at what six twenty five a.m. the emperor had already put his bird in the box. Is that what we've seen? I know you said he was trolling yeah. you pretty hard. He, so he he tagged me in a post on Instagram at like four thirty in the morning. I was on my way to the woods. He tagged me. He's like, "Oh, I'm turkey hunting." And I'm like, "Hey, good for you." So I texted him. I'm like, "So damn proud of you." Um, six twenty six. He sends me a picture of a turkey. He's like, "This is easy." And at this point in time, like I'd been getting worked over by a couple of birds at that point, and I was just beside myself uh, when that happens. When I saw the post, I was mildly pissed. I was like, "You son, uh, of, you, it, you son of a bitch! You're the one that makes people like me look bad. Like I'm going to spend yeah. weekends away from my family trying to find a bird, and you're the one posting up. Oh, I walked out 300 yards and put down a bird. This is not that hard. Yeah. Like, thanks, Dan. Let's go screw yourself." You know, you know, I, I, so I called him on my way back. I said, I said, Dan, you're not supposed to shoot the turkey that's lived in the farm, the farmyard. <laughs> someone, someone that he hadn't called back yet, but I mean, you're good for him, man. I, I'm, I'm happy he got a turkey, but I mean, it's like the equivalent of like shooting a Boone and Crockett buck off of like 500 pounds of corn from a from an enclosed tree stand with the heater, like. You just walk up and sit in the stand and you shoot them off. I'm not saying Dan's baiting turkeys. What I'm saying is that's a nice cushy turkey. Yeah, doesn't always happen like that. It's yeah. good for him. I want to get out. I want. I want him to experience the back and forth battle, man, where they're where they're coming, just working you over. So funny. You too, man. When you get you over your turkey. I'll yeah. take one of those cushy turkeys to start. I'm not gonna lie. That would be great. So, yeah. anywho, um, Mike Pentecost made. He had this like this genius saying during, you know, we're just all, all week, man, for the, the last two days, he, he said that, you know, he's like, kill turkeys with either your feet or your seat. Either your feet are going to hurt or your ass is going to hurt. Cause you're sitting waiting them out. And we did a little bit of both, but 
I mean, there was a point, man, where we we didn't we had turkeys around us. We just couldn't get them to. And they had hens all over them. We couldn't get them to work in. And I didn't move for like four hours, and then all of a sudden we had to get up and move. My foot's asleep. My hips are asleep. I like fell over, man. I didn't like catch myself on the tree because I tried to I tried to run up this hill. Kill me feet, or you see. That's good. I like that. I like that. All right, let's see. Uh, So I haven't done a whole lot since the last time we were on here. The uh, I did go out one night to try and call in some coyotes. So I'm, you know, we're, we're pretty real on this, Paul, on this show, Paul. And uh, I went out uh, what nine thirty something like that over an area that had been just been like that day had been uh, controlled burned burned yeah control yeah. burned so they were saying that that's a great time to come out because the coyotes will come out to do you know whatever find mice and and eat the mouses eat the mouses uh, so I I went out there and I was sitting up in a good perch and everything and. Uh, I was using my the X-Vision scope, so shout out to them. But I didn't – I'm an idiot. <clears throat> and it's, it's one of those learning things. I don't know about you, Paul, but when I go deer hunting, the first sit or two, like I have to remember everything I need. Like what I need to take with me, what makes mo- noise, what I don't need to take with me, uh, you know, different things like that. Well, one thing I forgot to do was uh, check the batteries in my my Predator call. So I've got one of those little e-caller or whatever you call them. And I didn't check the batteries. So I got out there and realized that I didn't have a working call. So I was going to just sit out there and scan for a couple hours. And that was fine. It's, I'll tell you, compared to going to Missouri and and Oklahoma, when you've got multiple other eyes on the field, I'm sure that helps a lot. And you're constantly scanning. You got multiple people scanning, you know, it, it just is. You've got, it's like even hunting in the day. If you've got other people sitting there saying, okay, there's one over there, it's one or whatever. Um, it also would have helped if I had a call, I think. But um, <clears throat> I did not see any coyotes that night. I heard some off in the distance. I didn't, you know, again, I couldn't call them. But that thermal is crazy because I sent you the video. But um, I had a bobcat walking across the field. And I'm pretty sure I should say I'm pretty sure it, it, it's it was cool watching this thing. It just no tail walking like like a little lion yeah. right across the field. And he was probably a couple 200, 250 yards out. But that was neat to watch. Um, There's rabbits everywhere. Uh, I think skunk saw some deer off in the distance. It's amazing what that that scope will do. But so no luck there. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of a quick in and out thing, but we'll give it hell again. I'm, what's, the, what's, what's the X-Vision website, Andrew? Uh, dot com. So hop on there, check their stuff out. If you get a chance, Sawyer and the guys are uh, he was at their show there a couple weeks ago. If you want to hear more about the actual science and the technology side of things, it's pretty. he goes pretty in-depth. But they've got all kinds of stuff on there for night vision and um, thermals range finders, binoculars, all that kind of stuff. So pretty cool stuff. And we look forward to more stuff coming from them in the future. Um, while we're on this, you can also find some X-Vision products on Go Wild uh, on their shopping feature. So check out Go Wild. It's uh, time to go wild.com. Our buddies over there. We are on the group text today, getting geared up for a fishing trip. 
do a little wall, walleye stab in there and uh at the walleye festival that'll be fun that'll be a good time and uh yeah we appreciate all the support from those guys so what else we got paul so we've got uh first light i was uh enjoying my leafy suit today man work out well for you it, dude, I love I love it paired with the wick short sleeve when it's hot out. That is my go-to turkey hunting setup right there. Man. Speaking of, of when it's hot out, they just released the trace pant, right, and quarter zip. So these are some, uh, some of the new 2023 line, and I'm looking at it right now. Um, for ideally, it, I mean, they've got them in, in Spectre and, and really I think all the colors, but the – Early, early season hunts. So I think back last year going up to Kildeer when it was uh, that opening early weekend and it was 90 degrees, it would have been nice um, for that. But I think it might also come in handy turkey season because I'll tell you what, Paul, it was warm here today, man. It was nice. But Yeah, I mean, Ohio, our turkey season is so weird. I mean, we, we can hunt when it's like 26, and then in two weeks you could be hunting in 90-degree weather. Right. And sometimes it's 20, oh, 26 yeah. at the start of the day and 90 degrees by noon. Layer up, man. Yeah, layer up. Midwest Gunworks. So we've got yeah, our Midwest. code on there is Ohio Outdoors 5. Save you 5%. We appreciate you, Cameron, and all the guys over there uh, and ladies that are doing everything. Um, Tell yeah. me if you're fixing, if you work, if you're working on a gun, that parts finder, Andrew, is legit. That thing is intuitive really easy to use ton of information there schematics check out their youtube page too camera does the uh the breakdown of the uh different firearms so gunworks.com those are great videos great videos there so uh so i think half rack half dash rack.com our last partner of the show and uh is it Paul Ohio Outdoors? Oh my gosh, yeah. Ohio Outdoors 15, save 15%. Here is a uh, little secret though. There's 20% off site wide if you use code TURKEY right now. So, oh. Yeah. There you go. So use code TURKEY this yeah. time. Get you new Boone Sling. That thing's freaking sweet. Hunter Hangers, those things are cool. Snack packs. Yeah, good. Good stuff there. So appreciate all of our partners helping us out there. Uh, let's see. Anything else, Paul? I don't have a whole lot of news because we're on a kind of a short window here. But I would no. like to say. So what What? what, what I? So what did Mark Wiley say? I, I, I wasn't there for this interview. Uh, I was working. I don't know what was going on. But yeah. What do you have to say about the turkey population here in the state of Ohio? So Mark and I had a great conversation, and we talked a lot about um, kind of the state of, of the birds at this point. And we recapped last year, going into this year. Uh, we talked a little bit about the research project that you were involved with. Um, I don't know if I still have my notes here. Can you tell you that I got to hold that turkey and was like a little freaking kid in a candy store? Uh, yeah, and we discussed the rocket launcher gun because it still it sounds really cool in my mind. Um, yeah, so we covered all kinds of stuff, though. But Mark is wealth of knowledge and discussed uh all the upland bird ideas and that kind of stuff i mean he's your he's your go-to there so one of the other things and i actually sent this to him i think i sent it to you too paul after i got off the phone with him um i went out shed hunting a day or two 
later and I came across those woodcocks that on this one oh, pro- yeah. property that I, I hunt, um, man, I'm telling you, I, I was walking through the woods I'm looking at the ground and I scared off a woodcock and you know, they, hun- they hunker down right until you about step on them. So she flies oh, off and then I realized that there's three babies right there. And I mean, they talk, they look like day old chicks. These things were so tiny and the, the blending. Oh my gosh. Mother nature's ability to blend and camouflage animals is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I took a video and some pictures and stuff. I sent to Mark and he was very interested in about that. To me, the craziest part is, and I should probably, I don't know if they're still alive at this point, but ground nesting bird i think i'm assuming they're ground nesting but um whatever they were all on the ground when i found them the this this group of birds was 30 yards from a camera and i'm telling you every night there is a coyote that walks through that by that camera so i don't know if they're just dodging the bullets there if it's just i would you think the dog would be able to smell them but um whatever it's tough ground nesting bird man i mean that's that's the reality i mean turkeys deal with it all the time yeah i kicked i i i bumped a turkey off of a nest uh today yeah just but there were no eggs in her nest i didn't even see her i was 10 feet from her man. i didn't see her until she got up that's crazy i was i was collecting pine cones I, for my wife i wasn't even, I wasn't even hunting. <laughs> I was walking through the woods picking up Pine wood and pine cones. Oh, pardon so. me, ma'am. I'm just collecting pine cones. <laughs> so, but anyway, so uh, this is a good talk for with Mark. We'd like to have Mark on um, at least to start the season. Hopefully, get him on a recap, see what what comes up. But I think you guys will enjoy this one and keep you rolling wow. closer to turkey season. So, like I said, this is going to launch on like the 19th, 20th, and then we open. So, I hope everybody's excited. Yeah, if you want some 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 more turkey content, how to hunt turkeys, that podcast is rocking. So. Shameless plug, but there it is. You get the the nitty gritty. Shameless plug. Yeah, that's it, man. With your host Paul Campbell. That Joel. Yeah. That's been fun, man. That's been a lot of fun getting to meet all these cool people and talk about turkeys. Dude, you've had some killer guests on there. I have. Yeah, it's been it's it's been uh, those guys have been great. So, and I've got more coming. I've got a couple recorded that I don't think I'm going to like probably release them like, next year yeah. just because we're, we're kind of running out of time, you know, but, uh, good stuff. Well, Paul, my friend, <laughs> drive, yeah. drive safe, drive safe, get back to us and, uh, come over. I, I got something I can help put you to work on if you get bored. You got it, buddy. So, take care, everybody. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. See you, guys. Our special guest, Mr. Mark Wiley of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Division of Wildlife, right? Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well. We were just talking here beforehand, but uh, you look a little tired. Uh, You've been been up early today? (laughs) I don't know if I should be offended by that. Or I, not. That's my favorite. People are like, man, you look worn out. I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah, a, a lot of early mornings um, for wildlife staff in the spring, running surveys and, and so forth. 
So what were you out doing today? And I mean, like, what does that look like on a daily basis? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the division wildlife runs, uh, gobbling and drumming routes in early April, just ahead of the spring Turkey season. So we're, we are of course lift, listening for gobbling turkeys, um, and also drumming rough grouse. Uh, so the, the calls of or the, the, the displays and calls of those two birds, uh, kind of overlap here in early April. Um, and so we go out and we've got, uh, uh about 30 routes in Eastern Ohio, and it, it gives us some sense of what gobbling activity is doing. Of course, that's highly variable with weather and, and what's going on with breeding activity. Um, but it's also really important that we get out and we, and we try to get some sense of what rough grouse populations are doing because they're struggling in, in recent years, certainly. So what was this morning like? Was it a good morning? Was the weather cooperative? Did the birds make noise? I had two birds, uh, one gobbling his head off and one just let out one late morning. And, uh, so, uh, for that route in Vinton County, it was a, it was a pretty quiet morning. Okay. What do you, I mean, what's a good, good morning where you hear just. Um, so we, we, we make 10 stops along a route they're about a half mile apart probably not too different than what a lot of people are doing scouting ahead of the season, uh, making a bunch of stops at various places through a state forest or wildlife area on that route in, in Vinton County. Uh, I think I've had as many as, uh, you know, 15 gobblers. Uh, it, when, the, when you get that many out there, yeah, I'm sure you've experienced that when the, you get one sounding off and sets off others, you kind of get that chain reaction. It kind of gets tough to keep track of how many birds you've got out there. Um, but it's, it's not unusual for me to hear birds on, uh, more than half of those stops in Vinton County and often hear multiple birds. So, uh, to just hear two birds this morning, uh, even though one of them was gobbling a lot, uh, it was, it was a little bit quiet. Yeah. So I'll run that route again, uh, in the next few days. And I hope to hear a little bit better gobbling activity on that route. So just to recap, you're getting paid to scout is what basically I just heard. So, uh, that sounds like a pretty good gig, now, but, um, so one of the things I want to talk about is kind of like a preview for 2023. Uh, I know it's no secret the across the country, really, um, people have talked about the decline in Turkey population with your gobbling studies and some of the other research and stuff you guys are doing. What does Mark Wiley think this year's hunters should expect when they got in the woods are they going to see more birds than last year is it uh are we in a better spot what what are we thinking i think we're going to have more birds than last year um and we don't necessarily look to the gobbling data for that we look at our poult data uh so we collect poult observations during the months of july and august we collect those from the public just tell us how many turkeys you saw during those months how many adults how many hens how many males um and how many poults um, and, and normally that poult data gives us uh, a sense of what's to come two years later. So two years down the road. Uh, so very fortunately, two years ago, uh, 2021, summer of, of 2021, uh, we had a really good poult year. Our poult uh, numbers were well above average. Uh, the long-term average is about 2.7 poults per hen. Um, and I think we were at 3.0 or 3.1. Um, and then to add to that last summer, 2021, well, excuse me, 2022, um, 
was another really good year. So there's likely to be a lot of Jake's on the landscape as well. So, so I, I expect, uh, Ohio hunters are going to encounter increased gobbling activity because of those good pulp classes. And then I expect to see our spring permit success rate go up a little bit. Uh, it already went up last year over the previous year. So our, our permit success rate was up in 2022. I expect it to go up again a little bit in 2023. So how many how many birds were harvested last year in 22? Yeah, l- last year was 11,872. So I love when you well guys below get, you guys get the right, numbers. You get right to the exact number. Mar- oh, uh, I've got it. Uh, Mike Tonkovich. Right <laughs> Mike Tonkovich does the exact same thing. <laughs> Mike Tonkovich probably has a memorized. He, I've got a sheet in front of me because I I know you're gonna ask. <laughs> he does. I'd be like, Mike, how many deer were harvested in 1994? And he rattles off, you know, exactly what the number was. But you know, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's funny. So eleven thousand plus birds last year. That. What does that look like for, I don't know, the 10 or 20 year average? Uh, that is very low. Um, but I, I, I caution a lot of times when people see that harvest total, uh, they get really concerned. Um, but, uh, of course, 2022 was unique compared to the previous 20 years, uh, because we only had a one bird bag limit in the spring, one bearded bird versus two bearded birds. Uh, so right there, you're you're taking several thousand birds out of the harvest, as we typically, uh, our hunters typically uh, harvest a, a few thousand um, second birds each year and have for for two decades almost. So it's low um, when you look at the total. But again, I I try to focus on permit success rate. Uh, so what percentage of our spring permits were filled? Uh, because you've also got a complicating factor that is declining hunter numbers. Each year uh, since the early 2000s, we've had fewer and fewer permits issued in the spring. Uh, so at our peak of 90 some thousand permits 20 years ago, we're now, uh, or we when we were still issuing two permits, in 2021, uh, we were down uh, to about 60,000 permits. So a loss of roughly 30,000 uh, over that time. Um, and then, of course, in 2022, with the, the bag limit change, we're no longer issuing second permits. So we saw a big dip in our permit sales as well in 2022. So I try to steer people away from the harvest total and have them focus on permit success rate, which in a good year, it approaches 25%. So one out of four permits is being filled in the spring. Um, and, and we were, I believe, right around 22, 21 or 22 last year. And that was up from the previous year. And again, I, I'm hopeful with good pulp numbers over the last two years that we're going to see it, it creep up a little bit more this this spring. So, and that all makes perfect sense to me. Uh, we don't have Paul on today, so you don't get the real the real bird brain here to discuss uh, all the, the in-depth stuff, I'm more, much more surface level. But overall, you think the health of the flock is headed in the right direction? I do. I, I mean, for, for two decades, Ohio's turkey population, and, and not just Ohio, uh, other states as well, have observed a considerable 
considerable amount of fluctuation in their turkey populations. You have up years, you have down years, and you sort of bounce between those every few years. Um, it was unique recently that we had a string of bad years, uh, and and those were sort of what kicked all of that off was a string of bad pult years. Our pult index dropped for three consecutive years, well below the average. Um, and, and that that alarmed a lot of people. It alarmed us as well. We wanted to understand why. We were hopeful that things would bounce back and that we weren't seeing the start of a long-term trend of some form, uh, as some states have seen more of a long-term decline in turkey numbers. So very fortunately, as I, as I mentioned, we have seen poult numbers increase in recent years. So it, it, it's starting to look more like we just had a few bad years in a row and, and we might be bouncing back from that. So that leads me to believe that we're still in a good place. We still have good turkey numbers out there. Our, our hunter success rate was never too far below what, what our long-term average was, you know, in that 20 to 22%. Uh, I think we fell down to maybe 18% success rate, which um, doesn't sound that much lower than 20. But when you think about 50 to 60,000 hunters, you're you're talking a few thousand birds that, that are, are no longer in that spring harvest. So I do think we're in a good place. Uh, we have initiated some research with Ohio State University looking at hen survival and reproductive output. Uh, and, and that is hopefully going to help us better understand the mechanics of that fluctuation that I mentioned. So when we have those bad poll years or when we have those good poll years, uh, we'd like to better understand why, you know, what are some of the, the factors that are driving that fluctuation up and down? Uh, some of that is understood or has been researched in the past. Um, so for any number of ground nesting birds, you can rattle off all the things that impact them uh, not only hen survival while they're nesting, but the the success of that nest uh, and and then poult survival. You've got weather, you've got predation, uh, potentially disease, uh, and then habitat quality and availability sort of impacts all of those things. So uh, that's what OSU is going to help us better understand as we follow hens across the landscape over the next couple of years. Is you know what is their survival like and what is impacting their survival. Uh, what what is what are their movement patterns and habitat use? Uh, what are those those trends look like? Um, and then what's their nest success? We me- we we measured next nest success pretty thoroughly about 17 years ago, uh, and used some of that data to set the spring season uh, and some of the other seas fall season as well. Uh, that data has been really important for our regulation setting process, but it's almost two decades old now, and a lot of things have changed on the Ohio landscape. Uh, we recognize that predator communities have certainly changed over the past 20 years. Weather patterns seem to have changed. I'm certainly not a weather expert, but it seems like we have more severe fluctuations in, in spring weather, um, certainly. And so we want to try to better understand some of those some of those things with this research. So just for our listeners who maybe have not heard you talk or need to be reminded, the poll surveys that you guys do, what are you looking at with that? I mean, you, you're just out in that time frame observing hens and their poults following behind them, right? Or 
you know, how many they've got on average. Is there a certain age you're looking for those poults to be? Um, are you going out to find the nest and, and see what's, what's around? Uh, so yeah, the summer poult survey, uh, is actually a survey that's, it's, we've sort of standardized the procedure across the, the range of the Eastern subspecies for sure. But I think that's the survey is even in use uh, in some of the Western States with other subspecies, but in essence, we're collecting any observation, just opportunistic observations of wild turkeys during the months of July and August. And we, we've selected those months uh, because most of the nesting effort is over at that time. And you've got hens with fairly large poults for the most part. They're going to be observable. Uh, and, and if there were any losses to a brood uh, when those poults are very young, uh, they would have already occurred so you get a more accurate assessment of how many poults might make it to adulthood in essence. So basically we'll collect any observations from the public, from wildlife staff, from forestry staff, uh, whoever is willing to submit an observation of wild turkey during the months of July and August. Um, and we take all of that information, how many males, how many females, how many poults, and we basically break all of that down. Uh, the most important, we, we want all observations of wild turkey, but then we glean from that the observations of hens and poults, and we produce that index that I mentioned of the average number of poults per hen. Uh, and, and with it, we also get the number of hens that actually have poults with them, gives us some sense. That's another measure sort of of, of reproductive success. You don't like to see a lot of lone hens with no poults means you something has happened that year likely and you you had a lot of unsuccessful hens um and at the same time we don't want to see a lot of hens with only one pole uh so, something is occurring that they just weren't that successful recruiting poults into the population that year uh so again our long term average is 2.7 it doesn't seem like a lot of poults your average clutch size is 11 um and and uh uh, but take take into account, you know, we're including all those lone hens. They bring that average down. They've got zero poults, so they're they're really in, impacting that average. Um, and we're also taking those observations at the end of the summer. So again, even a hen that successfully hatched eleven eggs, twelve eggs, uh, she's going to lose poults, especially very small poults. And so when you get into July and August. And they're half her size or three quarters her size. Their survival rate is much greater than it was when they were very small. So that's why we only collect in that narrow window of months at the end of the summer. Um, and again, other states are doing the same thing we're doing. They're collecting at the same time, the same way. And now we're able to to compare our poll data to Indiana, to Kentucky, to Pennsylvania, and get some sense of the patterns that are happening, not just in Ohio, but regionally across the range of, of the eastern turkey, eastern subspecies. So with our surrounding states, are we seeing similar results? We often do, yeah. Uh, so uh, so when we have a good year, uh, it seems our neighboring states have good years as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, it lends a little bit of credibility to the, the hypothesis that weather is having a tremendous impact on 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 wild turkey and and weather impacts predation and other factors as well so it's it's not just weather um but 
when you see trends like that year to year where we're up and our neighbors are up uh, or we're down and our neighbors are down, it's, it's something more than uh, often people want to boil it down to simply predation. Uh, certainly a lot of nests, a lot of, a lot of eggs, a lot of hens meet their fate uh, with a predator, but that's not always habitat plays a role. Weather plays a role in, in predation rates as well. Yeah, and I think you and I and Paul have talked about this in the past. I know Paul and I have. Everybody today in today's society just wants to find that silver bullet, right? Let's point the finger at one thing, whether it's predation or you know insecticides or or whatever. And I think oftentimes it's much more of a gray area than a, a black and white thing. If it was black and white, you know, it'd be our jobs would be easy, and you just start eliminating things that are <clears throat> causing a problem. Now that said, I've also heard. You know, the raccoon population in North America is greater now than it's ever been. So maybe they've got a little bit more to do with that or, you know, some of the farming. And I hell for my job, I sell insecticides, but I get it. They do cause issues. And um, the one thing none of us can control uh, is the weather. So we just kind of have to take that one as as it comes. But um, I don't certainly. But you make a very good point. It it is complicated. There are a lot of factors out there that are influencing turkey numbers um, and, and those factors interact with each other sort of as I described. Uh, um, so weather can impact predation. I, I I run bird dogs, upland bird hunting. On a dry day, uh, my dogs perform terribly. They just can't smell birds to save their life. On a wet day, when those birds are wet, they look, my dogs look like world champions. I mean, they can find them from across the field. Uh, so I, I try to convey that message to, to the turkey hunter is a wet hen, uh, is, is much more likely to be found, uh, for maybe that simple of a reason is she's putting off more scent that a mammalian predator is going to be able to pick up on. Uh, so when I get those, those cross looks when I start talking about weather, the eye rolls, like, oh, you don't want to talk about predation. Well, weather and predation go go hand in hand in some regards. Okay, so I'm going to derail this conversation. And I don't remember if you and I have talked about this. Last summer, I had uh, we had chicken coop at my house. And I don't know, I had six birds in there. And we were on vacation. And after we had a big thunderstorm, this was in June, a big thunderstorm that night. And I had a raccoon get in and took out a couple birds. My neighbor, my neighbor was giving me the play-by-play the day after. A couple days later, uh, again another big thunderstorm, uh, and and storms came through. The raccoon got in again and took three of the birds. And then when I finally got back and was able to set uh, a trap, it was another night of stormy weather that the raccoon came back. And so we still had birds in there. So like, I think the, we had six total to start. So the, the first night they got two, the second night they got three. There was the the sixth one, the lone survivor, Buttercup. She's still there. Um, so there was always something there to entice them, but it was always when the rain came. And I found that that, that was interesting. The other thing in my mind was that my dog wasn't in the yard because he was at, at the camp, but, uh, so maybe that that was also something that wasn't deterring them. But again, like you said, it all kind of maybe goes on top together. And in my little microcosm of my backyard chicken coop, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. With the chicken coop, of course, you have those birds in a place where that predator 
knows once they figure out they're there, they're likely to come back. The difference for a nesting turkey, nesting pheasant, nesting grouse, whatever the case might be, is they're doing their best to hide and never be discovered. Um, and so the disadvantage of putting off more scent is is a predator that might otherwise walk by, uh, maybe detects that that hen. Uh, but yeah, yeah, interesting observation. I'm glad to hear Buttercup made it. But she's still out there, man. She's kicking. We got new, new chickens. Now we've got two roosters out there, so she's got two cocks that are protecting her out in out in the yep. coop. But the uh, all right. So I'm gonna play a little game ish. I want to throw some weather scenarios at you, and I just you don't have to give like big long answers, but just kind of the overall, you know, how that would affect a turkey's population health overall in general. Okay. And some of these we've seen recently. So recently, December 23rd, when we were hitting wind chills of negative 35, what does that do to the birds? Um, I mean, by December, you're dealing with adult sized birds uh, and, and wild turkeys are large compared to any of our other game birds. So I, I don't think uh, they're going to struggle in those severe winter cold snaps like many of our other game birds are but uh, certainly they're going to need to eat more uh, to keep that body temperature up so they're, they might be more reliant on food sources at that time and as long as it doesn't last too long that that cold snap that's where it really gets you it's it seems our game birds can can ride out short uh, windows of severe winter weather but it's when it drags out for for days or weeks that's when you start to see mortality associated with with severe winter weather like that. But wild turkeys in general are pretty hardy, and, and they can get through that stuff. They can scratch through the snow, even potentially the ice. They can find the food they need and, and keep their body temperature up. Good. Good to hear. How about a mild winter? Um. Yeah. Yeah. No complaints, I suppose. I think turkeys do just fine in that. They find the food they need. Um, their their uh, caloric needs are probably less than, than in a severe winter. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's probably a positive thing for, for wild turkey. But what's, is it also a positive thing for the, pre- for predators? Um, or do they not need as many calories to stay warm? So they're not out hunting for food or, I mean, I guess once you got a, a, you know, you got a, a good, mature bird, they can fly up and whatever. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, uh, I don't know whether it would be. Uh, I mean, it would be advantageous to the various turkey predators for for other reasons, but I don't know that it gives the predators any specific advantage over the turkey uh, to have a mild winter like that. Okay. And the advantage might be, or well, the advantage might be for the turkey. Uh, spending less time foraging and moving to new areas uh, to forage uh, because those are are points when game species, prey species are often susceptible to predation is the more time you have to spend looking for food, uh, often the more risk you have that you're going to encounter a predator or a predator is going to encounter you. Uh, So, turkey predators might actually be at a disadvantage in those mild winters how i how about a wet spring and you just touched on a little bit from you know the overall smell 
and then scent of you know the use your your dogs as an example of the predators in general but what else once those eggs are in the nest and before the they hatch what's a what's a wet spring some you know gonna do yeah yeah the easy answer for nesting weather is uh anything out of the ordinary is generally bad uh, and people often laugh at me when they, they what's ordinary right, in, exactly. in Ohio spring. <laughs> that's what yes. I was going to say. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, any major deviation from, uh, from normal temperatures and normal precipitation levels is, is generally viewed as bad. Some even, uh, would claim that the dry years are bad, but I think a dry year for Ohio is probably a good thing for ground nesting birds. Um, uh, for a variety of reasons, we don't even in drought years, uh, we don't see necessarily uh, negative I- impacts on uh, on our wildlife populations. We don't have wildlife that are dying as a result of drought, uh, at least in nothing that that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, so I, drier, I think, is generally better for us in the spring uh, when you're talking ground nesting birds. So a wet year. Uh, in, in most cases, I'm going to expect to see low pulp numbers in that index when we get to July and August. Uh, you're probably going to have more nests fail. Uh, you're probably going to have more uh, hens killed on the nest, and you're probably going to have lower pulp survival rates. Um, I say probably with all of those because I don't know that for sure. It's just the pattern we see with our pulp index. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that this research with Ohio State University, uh, though investigating weather patterns is not a primary focus of the research, I'm hopeful that, that maybe that's something we can glean from from their efforts monitoring all these hens through the nesting season. And I think with, with weather data, I mean, that's always something you can go back and correlate kind of after the fact, right? Because once it happens, it's there. It's uh, You just go back and kind of see. And that's, and that's, sort of where those my comments come from is going back and looking at past years of pulp data. So we have that pulp index going back uh, 20 years or more. And you can, as you said, look at, at some of the rough trends in weather from those years. And often what you see is in a wet year, our pulp index is down. And in a dry year, spring, I should say, not year, uh, typically, we look at the months of April, May, June, uh, when you've got the most nests on the ground and young poults. Um, so if you've got above average precipitation in those three months, those typically fall in line with our low poult years, where the drier than average uh, periods, spring periods, uh, those are typically the years where we have above average poult production. Gotcha. How about a real knockdown, drag out thunderstorm? Um, yeah. So, so really severe storms or flooding are certainly a, a negative. Um, again, think about that hen. She's getting, she's just got those eggs in a depression in the ground. Um, so if she's in a flood prone area and when that flood occurs, that's a complete loss. Uh, of, the, of that clutch and, and those eggs and potentially small pults. Uh, so if those pults aren't flighted, uh, which occurs about three weeks. So if they're less than three weeks of age in a area that's going to flood, 
uh, there she's likely to lose that entire brood as well. So, um, and then even just if you're outside of a flooding, an area that might flood, uh, that hen has, has got to keep those poults dry and warm through that severe thunderstorm event. So yeah, any, any severe events like that with heavy rain, uh, or drop in temperature after the rain, those sorts of things are, are definitely going to be negative, uh, on your pulp production for that year. So knock on wood so far, we've been in Ohio, been pretty lucky on severe weather. I know we're just kind of getting started here this spring, but you know, down South, I, I just drove back through Arkansas and you know, they had a, uh, just chain of thunder, tornadoes and all kinds of stuff down there. Would you think that will cause any kind of major disruption to their, their flock down there? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I, I've seen uh, some of the wind damage that's been uh, highlighted on the news. And of course that's a terrible thing. I don't know, you know, in, in those specific areas uh, where there was severe damage to, to, forested areas uh, maybe there was some direct loss or, or uh, loss of birds or loss of habitat um, but I don't know how much rainfall accompanied uh, those events and maybe that would be the more broad impact uh, over a, a large area um, but yeah I, I don't know enough about exactly what those storms were like other than what I've seen the the, the uh, sort of carnage on the on the news unfortunately so okay off of the weather game now um what are what are the turkeys doing right now and it is april 4th yeah yeah so uh well-timed question because i i just spoke with the osu researchers uh and so we've got uh just shy of 50 hens marked with gps transmitters and several of them were in uh in winter flocks still up till last week um and we're we're seeing those those birds break off into twos and threes now uh, so it's it's very interesting to watch a group of uh, you know seven or eight hens that have all been together for more than a month they probably were together all winter but we just marked them recently in, in february and march and so now you're starting to see those groups of seven or eight transmitters together uh, sort of break off into again twos and threes uh, some single birds uh, shearing off and making some large movements to new areas where they've not been for, for a month or uh, or two. Um, so winter flocks are breaking up. Um, actually, some of the folks at OSU that are, are tracking these hens have watched hens moving to areas with displaying gobblers. So we're probably already seeing some of the, the early preliminary, uh, you know, breeding activity occurring. Uh, so yeah, spring is, is underway. And of course, anybody that's been out late, like I was this morning, there is some, some good gobbling activity going on and I hope there's, there's better yet to come. So the, and the time frame of this, and remember you're, you're talking to the Turkey novice, Paul is probably going to listen to this and cringe that I'm asking questions. So we're the first week of April, they're starting to break up, uh, and begin the breeding session. How long before I don't know, 50% of the hens are bred, 75%, and then we're done. Obviously, our turkey season starts April 22nd, uh, but the and I think we're a lot later than some states because we try to give them a little bit more time to get get bred in the, in, in the process. Yeah, yeah. So 
So most states try to position their spring season um, so that it opens at near the median date of incubation initiation. Okay. Meaning um, you would like, it would be ideal if your spring season started when about half of your hens have already started sitting on their nest to warm those eggs and, and hatch them. They're not going to leave that nest. They're, they've begun in incubation uh, where you probably still have a large fraction of your birds, your hens that are laying. They've got a nest established and they're depositing an egg every couple of days. Um, so we can probably backtrack from there and, and mark off some dates where, you know, half of your hens are bred, as you mentioned, um, but I don't, I'm not, I won't be able to do that for you today. Um, but yeah, so, so the study that I mentioned from 17 years ago, uh, that identified a date, the May 1st as our median date of incubation initiation, uh, in, uh, in Southeast Ohio. And then from that, we, we actually start our season a little early. Uh, so our season often opens in the third or fourth week of April. So we're a little bit earlier than would be considered ideal, uh, which is common in a lot of states. There is usually pretty intense pressure to open a season earlier and earlier and earlier. Spring hunters are chomping at the bit to get out in the field. I, I completely understand that. And um, we do our best to keep that season at an appropriate time where gobbling activity is still high, but birds have a chance gobblers have a chance to fertilize those hens and then hens are moving off to start those nests uh, before the bulk of hens are, are moving off to nest before that spring season starts so there's there's surely some breeding activity that's that's already occurring here in the in the first week of april uh, but we won't see the the bulk of that for another week or two um, and then as the season comes in we'll we'll likely already have some hens incubating so the ones that are incubating when the season starts, how long does is the incubation process? 27 days, I believe. So about a month. So in reality, what's the end of our season? Sorry, get, oh, get my book out here real quick. Yeah, you'll beat me to it. May 21st, looks like. So realistically, if you went out May 21st, I think I'm reading that right at least in the Southern zone, um, you could see some poults running around. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, there will be, there will be poults even earlier than that in the, in the spring season. Uh, so um, we have some very early nesters and they kind of, they're rolling the dice that they're going to be successful with that. Uh, probably a lot more threat of, uh, of inclement weather uh, during that early season. And then you're going to, again, we, we try to position our season. We try to focus on the peak of that activity, whether it's gobbling activity, whether it's nesting activity, whatever it is. You're always going to have some that are very early, some, some that go very late. And we try to focus on that peak. Um, so, so there will, each, each spring, I typically get reports of very small poults in the first and even, uh, first and second week of the season. And the, those are unusual, um, but it, it does happen. All right. So for anybody who's not a turkey biologist or a bird biologist, you, if you stumble upon a nest, what, what should you do? 
Um, walk backwards and leave the area. Yep. Uh, do your best not to disturb the hen. Unfortunately, typically the way we find those nests is the hen blows off of them and flies away. Um, uh, but I, I would definitely suggest you just uh, follow your footsteps the way you came and back out of there and try to avoid that area from then on. Um, those Some of those hens are, are going to abandon the nest. That, that just is going to happen. Um, so I, I generally, it, folks always want to ask, well, can I put a camera on the nest? You know, can I come back and check on it? Uh, each visit, each time that you come there, even that first time, there's going to be some risk that that hen abandons that nest and doesn't come back. Um, so I generally advise people don't visit again, uh, just back away and, uh, you can wait till later in the summer and, and, and maybe investigate the eggshells and get some sense of whether those eggs have hatched or, or if they were predated. Gotcha. All right. Let's see here. Um, do you want to talk any more about that research you guys are doing? And is this oh. is this the rocket launcher net gun thing that Paul was all excited about? It is, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's it, it's a means of, of turkey capture that's been used for for decades. It was uh, sort of pivotal to the, um, the the restoration effort, catching large numbers of wild turkey and moving them state to state from the states that still had wild turkey to to states like Ohio that no longer had wild turkey. So. Um, it's yeah, not, I mean, it it's, sounded it's, awesome. It's, yeah, yeah, it, it's not the uh, it's not the cartoon looking rocket, you, you know, or the rocket you might have played with as a kid. It, it looked just essentially like a metal pipe, big thick metal pipe, um, and uh, rocket ports on the back. You load an explosive charge in there. Uh, it's it's connected to a large net, uh, about sixty to seventy feet wide and long. Um, and that's all packed into a box and the rockets sit on top and, uh, you, you, then you're basically turkey hunting. You're just waiting for turkeys to come into bait. Um, we, we bait with corn during the winter months. Uh, so, so turkeys are, are, are pretty susceptible. They, they come into corn fairly readily at that, at that, uh, time of year. Um, and basically the, the tricky part is, is when you get a large number of birds in is, is getting them all in the right position and, and out of any dangerous areas, uh, so that you can deploy that net safely and, and capture a large number of birds. So it's, it's, uh, it's a very interesting process. Uh, we're very fortunate in the Division of Wildlife and a number of our staff, uh, were part of either the restoration effort or, or, uh, turkey research that went on decades ago. Uh, because it is very much an art, uh, not only positioning bet, bait and net, um, but uh, knowing when to trigger the net, when is a safe time. Uh, you know, you've got birds on the bait and birds moving towards or away from the bait. Uh, you might have birds come to bait and move off and move back. Uh, we've also had birds move onto the bait and then uh, I waited a little too long, hoping for some other birds to join them and the whole flock left into the woods and, and never came back. That was a hard day. That was, that was a tough pill to swallow. Um, but again, for, we're very fortunate that we have some experienced staff that have been able to train younger generations of, of wildlife staff like myself that have never experienced this, this turkey netting, uh, this capture method. 
Um, and so we were, we were very successful this spring, despite, uh, some, uh, challenging weather. I'll say you, you typically want snow, uh, snow seems to bring turkeys to bait, uh, even more than, than they, they normally would. And we actually had, uh, I believe I heard this was the first February on record with no no measurable snowfall <laughs> so despite that we got our birds caught good and what kind of stuff are you guys tracking with that uh so so with the with the gps transmitters you mean Just yeah yeah so we we get daily updates uh of bird movement um and, and then uh um as nesting season begins, we'll, we'll be able to identify almost to the day when those birds begin uh, incubating nests. That'll give us a, a, a date that we'll use to identify that median incubation date. Um, and then we'll be able to monitor the movement of those hens while on nest as well. We won't have to visit the nest, but we'll be able to remotely monitor their, uh, their activity um, to get some sense of whether nests were successful or not. So if she's on that, if we can tell she's on that nest for 27, 28 days and then begins to move off, uh, she likely had a successful nest and has poults with her. And we'll be able to verify that with uh, uh, trying to trying to find her later when it's more safe for, for us to do so. If she's only on that nest for 14 days and then she moves off or the transmitter lets us know that she's she's dead. They, they do have a mortality signal that lets us know that transmitter hasn't moved for a period of time and the bird is likely dead. But if she leaves that nest early and doesn't come back, uh, we'll, we'll go in and we'll try to investigate what happened to that nest. Why did she either abandon it or, or was it predated? Uh, what, what, whatever the case might be. So, uh, so it, it'll give us very detailed information on turkey movement, their habitat use, uh, when and where they nest, and then how successful were those nests. And then, as I mentioned, the hens that still have poults or the hens that successfully nest and, and hatch poults, we'll track them down at about three weeks after the, after the hatching date, and we'll, we'll try to get a count of the number of poults that she has. The easiest way to do that, it sounds like, uh, from states that have been doing it for a, a while now, is to go in very early in the morning and count them on the roost. Uh, so by that time, she ought to be tree roosting with with young poults. And so you ought to be able to fairly clearly see. We'll probably use an infrared scope um, and try to identify her and then count each poult that she's got with her. And that'll give us some sense, kind of like the summer survey, that'll give us some sense of how successful those poults were. Excuse me. Um, well, that's very, very interesting. I'm curious to see what you guys come up with it. And how many years are you guys going to run this study? Um, so we'll, we'll monitor hens throughout this entire nesting season and next season, and then probably into 2025 as well. Sounds like a good master's thesis or PhD project. Is that? Yeah, there's a master's student working on it. There you and go. There may be another one coming on soon. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, man, I think that's about about all I got for today. I, this was great catching up and uh, hearing about where things are at in the state. Is there anything else that you want to talk about or, or have to say as far as what people should be looking for this spring when they're out in the woods or. I think we, I think we covered it all. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let Paul give you a hard time. I think you, you knocked it out of the park. Oh, that, that just comes with, with Paul. He just always <laughs> a hard time. So 
Anywho, well, Mark, we really appreciate your time today. Looking forward to a great season, and uh, hope hope you can get some sleep. And uh, I'm eager to, eager to hear about the study. So we'll get back to it here come late maybe late summer. So that sounds good. All right, thanks, Mark.